0: What's up guys? It's Liz Kelly and welcome to the Ringer Podcast Network. April is a huge month for TV and starting this weekend, the Recapables feed returns to give you in-depth analysis on your favorite TV shows, including Killing Eve, Billions, and many more. There'll also be a special pre-capable series on the Recapables feed on the final season of Game of Thrones where our staff forecasts what will happen every Sunday on the show. So, make sure to subscribe now before the premiere of Killing Eve and Game of Thrones on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, and welcome back to our loyal listeners of the last 72 hours. Welcome to those of you who are new here. This is The Recapables, Killing Eve. I am Allison Herman, and I am here with the wonderful Kate Halliwell. Hello. We are here today to discuss the season two premiere of Killing Eve. Do you know how to dispose of a body? I don't, do you? I don't, but I feel like this could also be the title of literally any episode of Killing Eve uh-huh. that has ever existed. You're right, you're it right. It could be directed at every character on Killing Eve. <laughs> it's really, you know, like an on-brand way to begin this season, sure. which, you know, has been long awaited by many of us here at The Ringer.com. It and really has. We are eager, eager to discuss. So why don't we just start with our tweet-length reviews? You know, there's obviously been a lot of anticipation going into this. What is your 280 character less statement on how it pulled it off? So my tweet length review is, Eve is having a mental breakdown, Villanelle is having a physical breakdown, and the stabbiest show on TV just got even stabbier. That is absolutely <laughs> true. Although there wasn't really stabbing on this episode. No, it was more stabbing aftermath. Yes, it was like the ramifications of stabbing. Sure, it's sure. like a PSA about how stabbing is actually little-known fact, very bad for you. <laughs> it's bad for you, but great for relationships, apparently, according so to Bill Nell. we have learned. Uh, yes. My tweet-length review is even more concise. In fact, it's really just a quote, which is that circumstances have changed. They've changed a lot. Yes. This is what Carolyn Eve's Former, but now I guess current, again, boss tells her when she's explaining why Eve is after being fired last season finale back on the team. She can't just like look at the camera and be like, we're on a TV show. The TV show needs to continue. (laughs) Seriously. (laughs) But she says circumstances have changed, which they have for Eve because she's just stabbed someone, which unlike for Villanelle is like not a normal thing that she does. It's new for Eve. Yes. Very new. And then for Villanelle, circumstances have changed very dramatically. She is... She has an open stab wound that she no longer has, you know, a sugar daddy of a shady cabal to take care of for her. Right, yeah, she's on the run. She's extremely injured and suddenly not in control of anything. Yeah, and, the, you know, this picks up, like, literally 30 seconds after <laughs> the last we saw these two characters. So Yeah, there's literally really... literally a slate that's, like, 30 seconds later. Yes, We so we really do get, like, the play-by-play of how this... Uh, tryst-slash-stabbing-slash-confrontation has affected both of their lives. Um, We have a new segment to introduce. We have, you know, segments dedicated to both of our halves of this show listeners know Jody Comer can. You can look forward to that later in the yes. podcast. But in terms of Eve slash Sandra O, oh, we have a segment we're liking to call Eve Palastri's Work-Life Balance, <laughs> where we're just going to, you know, check in on a part of her life that she hasn't really managed so well. She's not great at it. Yeah. <laughs> weeds we work. <laughs> some, we have some notes for Eve Palastri's Work-Life do. Balance. So why don't you take it away? What's your number one note for her? Um, well, my first note in this is that She needs to talk to Nico and also maybe move. (laughs) Again, we talked about it in the last episode. She comes home from this work trip, just like freaking out. Nico's like, "Talk to me." please. And like, yeah, do that, Eve. The work trip that she literally described to her husband as a work thing, not yeah. I'm about to go to Moscow and then also go to Paris. Yeah, literally, it's like he doesn't know anything. She is having like this manic episode and then like very quickly is like very depressive and like freaky out in the bathtub. And she like literally won't tell him anything. He's so understanding. He's like, I, whatever it is, like I can deal with it as long as you talk to me. Yeah, honestly, I have some notes for Nico, which is when your wife Slaps you, shoves you, pieces on you without telling you anything, and then shows up again, preparing, shout out to Nigella Lawson, who tweeted out one of my stories once, and it was the best thing that ever happened to me. (laughs) Nigella's roast chicken. Hell yeah. That is still in the refrigerator. And his only response is like... Yeah, you can keep this job that's, like, definitely tearing our marriage apart, but the literal (laughs) least you can do is just tell me what you are doing at the job. He has such a low bar for her, and she refuses to meet it. He's being (laughs) so understanding, and Eve, like, please take advantage of that. I just think, like, Nico, you really have the power and the capital. There's a lot that you can lord over Eve right now. There's a lot that you can ask for, like— Moving to a different yes. house that oh an assassin God. does not know about. Yeah. Yeah. That's like the bare minimum. Like, please leave that house. Yeah. So I feel like just tell me what's going on is really like he really lowballed that. Extremely. Yeah. And even then, she like doesn't really, isn't really prepared to do that. It seems. Yes. We're going to, we'll we're going to get to her response to yes, the will. tell me things later in the episode. But my note was so before she comes home and starts cooking a very elaborate dinner that never comes together and mopes in the bathtub she goes to the train station, Gare du Nord, lovely structure in Paris to take the train home. I wish we had, you know, a better continental transportation system in the (laughs) United States. This just made me very envious. (laughs) That'd be great. But um, she starts waiting in line for security to go through customs. Then she realizes, like, oh, right, I have a bloody knife in my bag <laughs> which I have to say anytime I go through like TSA or anything I do the thing where like I know I don't have a blade knife in my pocket but it kind of gives you the feeling where it's like do I? Am it's I like gonna every... find something that I didn't know was there? It's like when someone checks your ID at the bar you're right. like you're like am I illegal? Like You're treating me like a criminal so I think I'm a criminal <laughs> Right so like the idea of her not remembering that she literally has a murder weapon in her pocket I was like I can't relate to that at all but it's a very Eve thing to do she's so scatterbrained Yes and then once she realizes this we talked on our season one recap about how clear it is that this show is written by women and arguably for women. Uh And I think like maybe the clearest example of that we've seen on this show yet is the way she disposes of this is that she wraps it up in some toilet paper and she throws it in that little tiny trash bin that is in every women's bathroom stall that is there to dispose of tampons and pads, which... It's the perfect... It's the perfect method. It's perfect because, like, first of all, it looks like a tampon when you—it's right. like got when the you same wrap shape. it up. Yeah, no one is like going through that garbage because exactly. it is literally the grossest kind of garbage that can exactly possibly exist. it fits in there perfectly. No, it's like the perfect way to get rid of a gross little tiny knife. Yeah, and the thing is like. If a guy had written this, it would probably, she could throw it away in just, like, a normal bathroom trash bin, like, where you throw away the paper towels. And that wouldn't have been wrong. Uh I wouldn't have, like, fact-checked it. Yeah. But this is, like, okay, like, you know, and you have thought about this, and I appreciate that you know. Exactly, exactly. So, shout out to that. But then she also chills out with her, like, giant bag of candy at a bar, Uh and she is approached by a strange woman (laughs) who can see that eve is in distress but somewhat misplaces the source of that distress Oh my god I know it can be quite Oh hard. you you think I'm a junkie I really don't oh, think w- that's w- an appropriate Oh wow time. Oh, I'm oh my God! Don't worry about it I get it Oh my god <laughs> You may not think you have a problem now <laughs> <laughs> Most addicts don't but it takes one to know one huh? Okay Uh Uh-huh. Thank you. Great laugh. I know that last uh uh-huh is perfect. (laughs) Like the cackle. Oh, yeah, she's losing it. But yeah, there's kind of two central metaphors for the relationship between Even Villanelle and the show. One is love and sexual attraction, which, as we talked about, is like not really a metaphor. That's exactly what's going on there. And the other is addiction, which I think was a little more subtext until now. Uh But, you know, it's season two. We got to really... Yeah, Put the subtext to the front. Yeah, and she, yep, she is not Villanelle junkie. And honestly, aren't we all? I know. I'm it's exactly Comber how junkie. I feel. <laughs> um, so our next segment is just going to be scene of the week where we're just going to highlight, you know, all the various set pieces and action and all that stuff that goes on. So because people are recuperating from stab wounds and whatnot, there aren't really like any big you know, assassination attempts this Mm -hmm. episode. But there are some big, some big happenings. Uh So I think our first pick was the sort of series of scenes Uh where Villanelle is recuperating in the hospital from her (laughs) stab wound. (laughs) Oh, Villanelle, never change. She sort of bonds with her roommate, Gabrielle, who is this dear sweet Gabrielle, <laughs> this like cherubic little this French boy, poor little French boy who got in a car accident and his parents, as we find, uh, were killed in the car accident. He broke a ton of bones. He has a skin transplant on his face. He lost an eye. And unfortunately, he is roommates with an assassin. Um, so extremely tough, tough, break. tough <laughs> break for Gabrielle. <laughs> tough, tough break. <laughs> um, but his dynamic with her is just so funny. And it's just so immediately like what we love about Villanelle and it's kind of a combination of highlighting her childlike aspects and her ability to manipulate people in the exact way that she knows will work. Yeah, in keeping with the theme of making a lot of the sort of subtle metaphors of the show very explicit, in addition to addiction, you mm. also have Villanelle, who's like a kid, sharing a hospital room with a kid, uh-huh. and then also demanding... Uh, lollipops and stickers I love stickers (laughs) stickers (laughs) (laughs) which you know who can't relate (laughs) right and she is telling Gabrielle all about her injury and we get this great moment where we realize that her perspective on the stabbing is maybe not quite what we would have expected a man stabbed you a woman stabbed me women don't stab I know it surprised me too but she did it to show me how much she cared about That's stupid. No, it isn't. Sometimes when you love someone, you will do crazy things. Only Villanelle would be like, she stabbed me to show me she loves me, and now we're going to be closer. Yes, this is an important update, I feel, it is. on it is. Villanelle's inner life and how she views what just went down between her and Eve. Yeah, because in the finale, she's pissed. Like, she's like, I really liked you. And in the moment, she's not like, oh, great. Like, I have a knife in my stomach. You tried to kill me. But now, like, with the, I guess, hindsight not 2020 also extremely relatable you know like when something that seems like very decisively bad for the relationship happens and then Uh as soon as you have like any space to do any form of Uh self-justification you're like actually what if this is a good sign what (laughs) if by I don't think we should see each other anymore they actually meant we should definitely keep seeing each other right exactly we've all been there so Villanelle is fully doing that with Eve and it's probably not great for Eve but is great for the show Yeah. Yeah, and at least we know she's not going to, like, be on the hunt to, like, get revenge on Eve. She's more apparently going to be like, I need to find the love of my life because she loves me, too. And we need to be together. Yes. And then on the Eve side of things, the big scene of the week is she and Carolyn reconnect. Carolyn is like, I know you were in Paris. What's up there? Eve obviously just lies. (laughs) Straight (laughs) up lies. (laughs) And is like, well, I showed up in her apartment, but she just wasn't there. But then Carolyn kind of explains why Eve—exactly how the circumstances have changed, why she Mm -hmm. needs Eve back on the beat and figuring out what's going on with this case, which is that a tech mogul named Alistair Peel was killed. It was—it originally seemed like he just died of a heart attack, but now they think his death was due to nefarious circumstances because Nadia, Villanelle's other ex, (laughs) (laughs) who she ran over with a van— before she was killed by Villanelle, slipped a note under the door in the prison, addressed Eve that just said Alistair Peel. So obviously she's trying to lead Eve to some sort of evidence about how he died. Yes, the implication is that he was also taken out by an assassin, possibly Villanelle, on the orders of their mutual boss, the Twelve. But right. as with so much in Killing Eve, this kind of like very plot-focused development is actually just an excuse for some amazing interactions between people. <laughs> <laughs> so they ended this weird like, I guess, morgue. And, of course, Carolyn reunites with this woman who apparently, like, she goes far back with. They pull out, she pulls out, like, a drink cart and is like, stay a while. And it's this, like, crazy coroner lady who brings out the bodies. Like, sorry, he's been a little bit exhumed. Super gross. Tiniest bit exhumed. Tiniest bit exhumed. And they start sort of examining this body and talking about, it's basically like a test that Carolyn has laid out for her. But it leads to A big confrontation between Carolyn and Eve towards the end. Eve's like, why am I here? Like, what is this test? Like, what's the point of giving you answers that you already have? Also, like, why did you talk to Villanelle by yourself and not tell me? Are you even on the side that you say you are? Exactly. So they have this confrontation where Eve asks her all these questions that we want to know the answers to that are obviously important if she's going to be working for her again. And then Carolyn immediately doesn't answer any of them, flips it on her and is like, what really happened with Villanelle? Why are you so obsessed with her? And it's just like, see how it works. Like huge flex. We're just, we're just both going to have questions. Uh Neither of them are going to be answered. Your questions are maybe more urgent than my questions, but also I'm your boss, right? And so Eve's like, I can't do this. And Carolyn has this great moment where she's like, Is home really where you want to be? What do people do at home? (laughs) (laughs) really insightful look into how that character's mind works I know it was such like a uh, like in Downton Abbey where Maggie Smith's like what is a weekend weekend. (laughs) it was like same energy as that I just want to say I really love the idea of Killing Eve just taking us through this like underground network of female spies and their female spy collaborators who Uh all just like know what's up and can knock back a drink with one another it's great Carolyn has so many great connections I just want to like I don't know. I own a whole spinoff about her life as like a young MI6 agent making all these weird ass friends. I mean, we learn a lot about Carol in this episode. We're going to learn a little more later. Yeah, but first we have some very important business to take care of. Such important business. The best segment. Yes, this is Jodie Comer can. For those of you who need a refresher, this is where we describe all the things that Jodie Comer can do to us based on the things that her character Villanelle does in the episode. We're just going to run through them rapid fire. We're going to alternate. Get ready it. to start. Okay. Jody Comer can throw herself in front of my moving car and blackmail me into taking her to the hospital. Sounds like a great experience, honestly. Jodie Comer can pose as a doctor and tell me that my rapidly dying, extremely corpse like <laughs> husband is miraculously cured in an attempt to steal my wallet. You know, I think I could get over it. I think I could move. Yeah, move if on it from meant that. Jodie Comer was doing it. Was it was a it. long hug. You know, she hugged her for a long time. I think it was worth it. Yeah. Jodie Comer can abandon most of my earthly possessions on the side of the road and stow away in my trunk. Not a metaphor. Nope. Not a euphemism. Nope. (laughs) Just the actual trunk of my car. That's what actually happened. And finally, the uh, kind of the big moment of the episode. Jodie Comer can comfort me, hug me, and then snap my neck in a pediatric ward. You know, she really meant it as a gesture of love. She really did. She did. She just wanted the best for Gabrielle. She was like, that sounds like a really shitty... Life, yeah. Who wants to be orphaned and disfigured? I mean, obviously, many people have led healthy and productive lives after that it happened, right? But-, but she feels very strongly that that's not what Gabrielle wants, and so she decides to take care of it for him. Yep, we she understand. Could. She could, you could do it. Also, a very Jodie Cooper centric segment we have right now is our weekly fit of the week which is just we're going to highlight the amazing costume design that happens on this show yes. as worn by the actors and actresses on this show. And we got to talk about the pajamas. We have to talk about the pajamas. They are quite something. We saw them in the trailer before the season Premiere, and obviously knew they were coming, didn't quite know the context, Uh, but she borrows them from Gabrielle when she's kind of stuck just, like, in her hospital gown. Not much of an upgrade, I think, from her point of view. Yes. Um, (laughs) Also, we both had a note about this, which is these are clearly not the pajamas of a 12-year-old boy. (laughs) Yeah. Like, All the realism points that come from someone disposing of a maybe murder weapon in a tampon bin are are cashed in on this 12-year-old boy's pajamas fits this like 26-year-old woman's bus line just absolutely perfectly. perfectly. (laughs) Yeah, they fit her a little too well. But yeah, they look, she looks great. She pulls them off. She also requires some accessories She does. in her time in the hospital. Very important accessories. When she sneaks out of her room to pose as a doctor briefly, there's a moment where she sees these Crocs sitting here, and obviously she needs shoes. And not only are they Crocs, but they're like white, they're a little stained, and they have those they little... They have little like pegs. The what pegs you on the top where you put them in the holes, and they're like little charms. And there's just this great moment where she looks at them and she's like, "Oh!" and like curls up her toes and like just can't quite. <laughs> it do physically it. pains her. Although again, she's clearly hot enough that they come off yeah. as like an ironic right. normcore. Jodie Comer can pull off cracks. Yes, another Jodie Comer can. Jodie <laughs> yeah. Comer can roll through. And Maybe Crocs. the most significant. And then the final accessory. I don't think we actually see the origins of it. We don't. I assume it's a patient or maybe Gabrielle's, I don't know. But yeah, when she leaves the hospital in her wheelchair, she has this hat on that she leaves abandoned in the wheelchair when she runs away. But it just says LOL it's in this kind like of like googly lichtenstein yeah, pink sparkly pink, letters yeah, like comic booky. Yeah, so when the wheelchair spins around on the security guard who sees her leave, it's just LOL. Which is just classic. It's very like her essence. Yeah, for sure. And then just one more shout out. In the very beginning of the episode when the cleanup team comes in to take care of her apartment and get rid of all her things, she sees them packing away the pink dress into the trunk of the van. Pour one out. R.I.P. pink dress. Gone but not forgotten. I know. I love how they, like, straight up shot the landlady, but they were like, we need to pack up all right. the clothes <laughs> in delicate fashion. It's a good point. They have their priorities in order. This is true. So... For our next segment, we are going to deliver the Rat Holding a Coke Can Award for dialogue. We actually <laughs> had a lot of quotes this week, and we've kind of run through most of their context, so we're just going to rapid-fire run through some of the highlights. We should also mention this episode was written by Emerald Fennell, who took over sort of head writer showrunning duties after Phoebe Waller-Bridge had to do the, like, eight million other things on Phoebe Waller-Bridge's uh-huh. very busy schedule. Yes. But we thought she did a great job, and to that end, we are going to run through— I think, like, the most, like, okay, like, we're back in Killing Eve universe Uh after we've just had Sandra Oh, like, looking very distressed and running down the stairs is she's on the phone and she goes, you know, I think I might have killed her about Eve. And then she looks up and she sees a proposal happening (laughs) literally right in front of (laughs) her. And they're just staring at her like, uh, and she goes, congratulations, (laughs) walks away. Just, (laughs) we're back, baby. We are back. We also, I just loved every interaction between Eve. Villanelle and Gabrielle in the hospital. Just so many little moments where she's just so unintentionally funny and poor Gabrielle just, like, has to put up with it. Do you have any money, Gabrielle? No. Do your parents have any money? Are they coming to visit today? He died. In the accident. That's not helpful to me, (laughs) (laughs) Gabrielle. Just... (laughs) You know, at least she's upfront about it. And she then there's is. another one of those exchanges. Is Gabrielle, you know, wants what any roommate wants. He wants like a peaceable living environment where he can sleep and rest and recuperate from his accident. Mm-hmm. And he's like, "You snore, you know." And then she just shoots back immediately. Yeah, well, your parents are dead. Which, and he just laughs. <laughs> it's like, like a solid reply. <laughs> it you know? is. She's right. Where is the lie? Anyway, so we actually have a clip for our next bit of dialogue. We just can't do it justice. We really can't. My father used to come to this park all the time. To the men's bathing ponds just over there. Very popular in the 50s with spies. Ideal place for a sensitive conversation. And to have sex with boys, of course, which would have been an added bonus for daddy. Just volumes. <laughs> Carolyn, never change. I think, is this like the first mention we've gotten of the fact that her father was also a spy? I think. That's a good point. I think it is. Yeah, that's like an important piece of information. It explains something about like why she is so comfortable putting her own son in danger. That's true. That's true. Yeah, and you know, a little extra detail about her dad's sexual preferences. Yes. And also just, it's just such a carol. It's like the first encounter we have with her when Eve's back in the new season and she just immediately just goes right back to it. She's hanging out with a, like, eight-year-old child. Right. It seems like they're homies. She's apparently never seen him before in his life. Right, just casually. Casually, (laughs) Casually dropping that her dad liked to have sex with boys. Also, just like now I'm picturing Carolyn's dad as this like John Le Corre, George Smiley <laughs> yeah. type, like doing Oh my God. All I really that. need a Carolyn prequel. I know. Um, and then they go from there to the morgue and to talk to the coroner. And <laughs> Eve is obviously very uncomfortable, very like, what in the world is happening? And the coroner asks her, is there anything I can get you? Whiskey, water, and she goes, Can I have a burger? And the coroner goes, that's the formaldehyde. The smell of the body makes you crave meat. Meat. (laughs) Which is good to know. Uh And they cut immediately to them, like, sipping and, like, eating burgers and, like, eating fast food. Just chilling in front front of a dead body. Very dead body. A Like, old dead body. Honestly, just extremely impressive that they could eat a whole meal in front of, like— In front of, like, a a decomposing corpse. Extremely gross. But, yeah, you know, apparently the burger was great. Yes. And then also in the morgue, they discover that this apparent heart attack of natural causes happened because someone injected an air bubble into his bloodstream— and they figure out like a very probable time at which this could have happened was he had a regular manicure to which Eve responds somewhat incredulously. And then Carolyn <laughs> responds, don't be sexist, Eve. Men can look after themselves, too. Uh, preach. Honestly, Thanks, I wish Carolyn. I lived in a world where more men in my life had regular pedicures. Yes. Like, we Honestly, need, the world needs that. We need more self-care from the men in our lives. Not it's a great less. point. It's a great and point. Finally, I think we really need to just revisit this conversation. We do. We do. Okay, so when Eve comes back to her house later in the episode, she's talking to Nico. Nico's like, talk to me, tell me anything. And poor dear sweet Eve, who was so worried about picking up the phone earlier in the episode. She picked up the phone finally. She was afraid it was going to be Carolyn. She was afraid it was going to be somebody calling to talk to her, tell her Villanelle, Villanelle was dead, maybe Villanelle herself. And it was this guy selling windows. And she was so relieved that she just let him sell her these windows. And he was like, wow, really? Okay. <laughs> So, we get a call back to that when she's talking to Nico, and he like, goes, You can talk to me, tell me anything, just, just talk to me. And she's like, Okay, I bought a shit ton of really expensive windows. Definitely the most <laughs> important thing that has happened to her windows. in the last like weeks since she's oh, talked to her husband about so something. She's so worried. Uh, and apparently, they're not going to move now if they just invested in their windows. So. Oh, yeah, good point. <laughs> they're just stuck there. It's they an investment are. property, they're underwater. I know. So, again, our concerns, both about the state of their marriage and Nico's personal safety, remain very much in play, but yes. that pretty much brings it into our, like, raw recap of this episode. Yes. We're going to zoom out a little bit. We have a recurring segment called the Phoebe Waller-Bridge Universe, where we refer people—think of it as, like, a syllabus to Killing Eve. Yes. We're just going to point people to other stuff, and there's a really great piece in the New York Times this week by Amanda Hess, who has also been part of the Killing Eve Hive from the very beginning. hmm where she talks to Phoebe Waller-Bridge about some of her pop cultural kind of extra textual inspirations for the show, and this is a really rich text. You can it find. really is, yeah. So we find out that there's a famous Spike Jones directed perfume commercial where the actress and ballerina Margaret Qualley kind of like is taken over by some spirit and just really goes nuts. And I then, actually love this commercial before I knew that it was connected to. I mean, e. I know who Margaret Qualley yeah. is, and I didn't. I feel like she wasn't on my radar then, so I didn't connect it. Yeah, I I remember because she's in the leftovers, and she's great, and she yeah she does this like very like interpretive dance. Honestly, I also remembered it because people thought that Taylor Swift ripped it off for one of her music videos, Yikes. for delicate. Yikes! Um, so check that out as well. A lot of things, a lot of people inspired by this perfume commercial, apparently. But yeah, it's it, Margaret Qualley kind of like does this like these crazy facial expressions, and it's kind of about. Kind of like freedom from societal expectations and moving your body in unexpected ways. And mm-hmm. um, and Phoebe Waller-Bridge said that she had, I think, sent that to Jodie Comer as kind of like a, a benchmark for sort of how Villanelle can manipulate her expressions. Also, Phoebe Waller-Bridge is a woman of very diverse taste, so she also pulled in a World Star Hip Hop video that's an interview with a woman who is also a murderer named Angela Simpson Uh and just observing both like how scary she is in the interview but also when she thinks the cameras are off, she makes it very clear that it's a performance. Right, yeah. She says, make it look good, please. And Phoebe Waller-Bridge was like, she sounds so girly which we do totally get from Villanelle. She's like sort of mercilessly killing people and then, you know, she flips a switch and she's just like a childlike person. Yeah. I'm also going to claim some bragging rights here. So Phoebe Waller-Bridge says part of what inspired her, or like particularly Eve's character, was the widespread female fascination with true crime and like Mm -hmm. murder stuff. Yeah. Which was something I wrote about in my initial review. I was sort of like, you know, you could totally see like a more low-key subdued version of Eve that's just like a hardcore murderino, like a fan of the My Favorite Murder podcast. Right. And lo and behold. Lo and behold. That was... An actual inspiration. Yes. And the whole vogue of like not just true crime stuff that's happening, but the fact that like women in specific are drawn to stories about women getting murdered. Yeah. Which is like totally like what Eve has is a very extreme version of that same. Absolutely. Anyway, we highly recommend this article. You can find it on The New York Times, but we're also going to link to it on our show notes so you can find it super easily there. And we're just going to move on to any predictions we have for the next episode. Yeah, so we're kind of like set. We can vaguely tell kind of where we're going now. Eve's back on the job. But Carolyn, in that confrontation over the body, she says, if she's alive, you need to find her before she finds you. And she will. So I was thinking it just feels like a race all of a sudden They're not, it's not just Eve looking for Villanelle. It's not just Villanelle running away from Eve. Villanelle's on the move. She's injured, but she's on the move and she's free. Um, And Eve's back to like sort of shooting blind based on like these iffy leads that she has. But they're both on the move and they're both on the move towards each other. So all of a sudden it's a race to see who finds who first. Yes, Villanelle is crossing the channel. She is headed to Britain. Yes. Eve is in Britain. Uh Uh-huh. So that's a little alarming. A little bit. And yeah, Eve is back on her kind of investigative move like kind of grind and uh-huh. she she has a new case to, like really sink her teeth into. Right. So we have like the plot direction yes. at least. And then also there's just a lot that hasn't really happened yet because so much of this episode was just like literally like how is Villanelle going to get medical treatment and how is Eve going to reconnect with her husband and her boss. Right. So now we kind of have like well what about the rest of the supporting cast? Yes. So we didn't get Elena or Kenny in this episode um, but if she's back on the job obviously she's going to need a team to work with. So like it feels likely that Elena and Kenny will be back or like, you know, she'll be back in like the old the old office or something like that. Um so hopefully we'll get we'll get our little And on the it. other side of that, no Constantine yet. No, yeah, we didn't really get any references towards him at all, but... Yes, I mean, like, the Occam's Razors, like, I suppose we could just take the show at face value that he did die last season, but we are on the record skeptics. Yes, we are on the record (laughs) skeptics. So, Kim Bodnia, we miss you. We miss you. Come back. Please come back. And we miss Kenny and Elena as well. So... I think that brings us to the end of this episode. It does. Thank you so much for listening. You can find new episodes every Sunday after the episode airs on the Recapables podcast feed. And until then, yours and murder. <laughs> We're so excited that the show is back.